Hello everyone and happy Valentine's Day. Welcome to the Actus Podcast, a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI, as well as sharing the latest news relevant to Actus and the CDI profession as a whole. I'm Carla Kozak, I'm an editor and product coordinator for Actus, and I'm also your host for today's show, which is part of our Conversations with Carla series. In every episode of this series, I am joined by a guest who's behind one of our most popular and exciting Actus educational offerings to share their expertise on a particular topic. Today, we'll be taking a deep dive into acute kidney injury, and I'm thrilled to be joined by Sharm Brody, RN, CCDS, CCDSO, CRC. Sharm is a CDI educational specialist with HC Pro. She serves as a full-time instructor for the CDI boot camps, as well as a subject matter for Actus, including as a speaker and a journal contributor. She has more than 40 years of experience in the healthcare industry that she's willing to share with us today. Her CDI background includes consulting, where she provided program reviews and training to medical staffs, including physician education at various healthcare facilities. She is also the co-author of The Essential Guide to Supporting Quality Care Measures Through Documentation Improvement. She serves as the co-chair of the Actus Regulatory Committee and the chair of the CCDS Committee. Now, before we get started, a quick reminder about the fact that the Actus podcast now offers 0.5 Actus CEUs for the first two days after posting, which can be used towards your CCDS or CCDSO recertification requirements. I'll be sharing the instructions at the end of the show, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Before Sharon and I jump into today's topic, just a brief word from today's sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by Nuance Communications. Nuance Communications is a technology pioneer with market leadership in conversational AI and ambient intelligence, and a full-service partner trusted by 77% of U.S. hospitals and 85% of the Fortune 100 companies worldwide. Now a Microsoft company, Nuance brings industry-leading AI and deep vertical expertise to address your biggest challenges and accelerate healthcare outcomes. Nuance meets you where you are in your CDI journey with AI-driven solutions that meet your needs. Recently named 2024 Best in KLAS for CDI, CDE1 provides in-workflow intelligence that keeps the patient at the center of the story, supporting quality outcomes and appropriate reimbursement. Optimize your CDI program and maximize resources with CDE1's AI-powered encounter prioritization, workflow, analytics, and services delivered in your current workflows and hosted on high-trust CSF-certified Microsoft Azure for end-to-end security, privacy, and compliance. Visit the link in today's show notes to learn more. And now, back to the show. Thank you again for joining me today, Sharm. I'm so excited to have you here. As I mentioned when we were planning this, it's been much too long since you and I have done a podcast episode together. So I'm really excited that you can be here to share your thoughts on acute kidney injury with us today. Well, thank you, Kyla. I'm very happy to be here with you. (laughs) So before we dive in, I just want to establish a little bit of a foundation for our conversation. As I mentioned, we're going to focus on AKI. But um, before we do that, can you talk a little bit about how we medically assess renal function? How does that work? Yeah, great question and a good place to start. So we have amazing kidneys, little tiny, tiny things, but do so much work. So it's medically assessed during a variety of evaluations and medical tests. Uh, The most common tests that most people are well aware of are called serum creatinine, 
which gives us an idea about the level of kidney impairment. We also have what is called blood urea nitrogen, um, also called BUN. And I've had people call it a bun before. I was always taught to, I know, call it BUN, but I have heard bun. Uh, and that measures the amount of nitrogen in the blood um, from the waste product, uh, urea. Now, elevated levels can indicate problems with the kidney. We also do urinalysis. So we're going to take a look at the urine, an actual urine, and examine it for any abnormalities like protein or red blood cells or any other substances. Um, another test that is often performed would be, you know, looking for protein or, you know, red blood cells and things like that. But we also do the glomerular filtration rate or GFR, and that's going to be calculated using the patient's um, serum creatinine. It's going to take into consideration their age, their gender, and a couple of other factors. And this is going to be uh, used to estimate the rate at which the kidneys filter blood. So these results are also used to stage a person's level of chronic kidney disease. So we can also perform what is called a creatinine clearance test. Now, we don't see too many of these being done in the hospital as an inpatient, but literally you'd walk around the hospital and you'd see people carrying jugs of urine. So these are done primarily in the outpatient setting now, um, but they're going to look at how the kidneys also filter creatinine from the blood. Um, we can do ultrasounds. Ultrasounds can give us a picture of the kidneys and hopefully tell us whether or not there's any structural issues. Um, if we need a more comprehensive view of the kidneys, we can get into an MRI or a CT. Um, and there's a couple of other tests, you know, they can do biopsies, but I think I've covered pretty much the basics of what we would be seeing. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time to go through that before we talk about when, when the kidneys are failing. I think it's important to talk about how we know if they're failing or functioning properly. So a lot of the terms that we hear related to kidneys are acute kidney injury and acute renal failure. Can you talk a little bit about what the difference is between those two terms? You know, this is a, a good question because to be honest with you, for a long time, I don't think many of us understood uh, what they were actually talking about. They are two terms in the coding world that are used interchangeably. But when you think of it from a clinical perspective, at least when I think about it, I think of acute kidney injury as being an injury, a specific injury to the kidneys themselves with failure, diminished um, production of the, you know, with the kidneys, but they are used interchangeably. So, um, but what I have seen more frequently is that we are using acute kidney injury to describe a broader spectrum of renal dysfunction. But as far as definitions, AKI uh, it is a more inclusive, broader term that encompasses sudden and usually reversible disease of the kidney function uh, with a classification based on different stages that are based on severity of the disease uh, in the decrease in the kidney function. Uh, the stage is determined by criteria like our serum creatinine levels, urine output, um, and other clinical indicators. Uh, it can have a variety of causes that can include things like dehydration, infection. It can be caused by certain medications um, and other systemic conditions like sepsis. Now, acute renal failure is the older antiquated term, and that refers to a sudden and significant loss of kidney function, often because of the kidneys not effectively removing waste products from the blood. Um, it was traditionally used to describe a more severe form of kidney dysfunction, but in a lot of cases, it can be reversible, especially if identified and treated appropriately and, and promptly. 
So to sum it up, the major differences between these terms is that AKI is a broader term where acute renal failure was more traditionally used to describe a severe form of acute kidney dysfunction. Thank you for clearing that up. Like you said, I think it's a very uh, challenging topic or a very nuanced topic. So it's really important to break down and look at how they are different. And I've had the pleasure of sitting through several presentations you've given on AKI and ARF, particularly to ProPAL clients. Uh, and I, from those presentations, I've learned that the three types, there are three types of renal failure. It's pre-renal, intra-renal, and post-renal. Can you Good talk job. about <laughs> Well, I, ha- I, ha- I have notes in front of me, but it, I could, I, I could recall it from memory. I've heard it enough times. Uh, but can you walk me through the differences between those three types and what they represent? That I cannot come up with off the top of my head. <laughs> you did a good job. Thank you. Let's talk about pre-renal. Just as it sounds, it's something that happens prior to the kidneys. So this is a condition where blood, flu to, blood flow uh, to the kidneys is compromised. Now, it can be due to things like dehydration. It can be due to things like bleeding. So we have low blood volume um, with dehydration. Again, we're going we're, you know, to see less volume or hypertension. Again, less volume. Um, and it results in renal hyperperfusion. Uh, there is no renal, really true renal pathology. Pre-renal AKI is the most common type of renal failure. Um, so that's a, a good thing to know. And it's always connected uh, with, or corrected, I should say, not connected, corrected with IV fluids. So uncorrected, though, it can convert into an issue that affects the kidneys proper. So we want to make sure that that doesn't occur. So that's our pre-renal. So let's get into intrarenal. So that is a situation where the actual cells within the kidney are either ischemic, they're infarcted, they're necrotic, or um, they're diseased. This is the most complicated type of renal failure, um, and it needs to be corrected. So it, it, it's um, so we want to know what the cause is. What is the cause of the intrarenal failure? And it can be due to medication toxicity, like antibiotics. Um, it can be related to other conditions like leukemia, sarcoidosis. Um, it could be related to other things like acute tubular necrosis. So what we really want to know is what part of the kidney is damaged, what type of the tissues within the kidney are damaged. Um, and that, that would be our intrarenal, the kidney specific, what's going on with them. And then last but not least will be our postrenal. And that's going to be renal failure due to an obstruction. So um, to put it bluntly, the urine isn't getting out. Something's gone wrong. It's not getting out. So it's, it's due to some type of obstructive process somewhere in the excretion of this waste, um, either from the renal calculi uh, to the urethra. But things, common things that would cause this would be like kidney stones. Um, it could be related to a type of cancer. It could be related to adhesions. Um, could be related to complications of surgery. So this is probably out of, well, it is out of the three, the rarest. Um, and what we got to do is we've got to get rid of the obstruction. So whatever is causing that obstruction, we need to fix. Got it. Sharm, I just love talking clinical topics with you because you have this really 
great way of breaking them down into layman's terms and making it so that someone like me that doesn't have a clinical background can really easily understand what you're saying while that while someone who does have a clinical background also is following and knows exactly the specific things you're talking about. So I always really appreciate asking you to break down clinical things. Oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs> Let's take a minute and focus in on AKI. What are some of the key clinical indicators that support the presence of AKI? Okay, so clinical indicators, uh, they are going to include things like decreased urine output. That's also called oliguria. Uh, that is probably the hallmark indicator, meaning it's, it's the one you're looking for. Um, it is defined as urine output less than 0.5 milliliters per kilogram of you know, patient's weight per hour. It can certainly lead to fluid imbalances, causing swelling and edema. These patients are going to feel fatigued and weak because of the buildup of waste products and toxins in their body. They can also experience things like shortness of breath because of the fluid retention caused by the AKI that's going to affect their lungs. Um, They can also be confused and have some altered mental status due to the accumulation of uremic toxins that could be in the bloodstream. Um, They can definitely impact our central nervous system. Things like hypertension or hypotension can be experienced in these patients. And then we can also have electrolyte imbalances, and they can occur because of everything that's going on with the kidneys. And the ones that we're going to really look for would be um, hyperkalemia or hyponatremia, but certainly there can be other electrolyte abnormalities. These patients can also experience some nausea and vomiting, again, due to the toxins um, wreaking havoc in in their gut, their GI. Uh, And we can see metabolic acidosis, and that's going to be related to the acids that are being um, accumulated in the body. So those are some of the clinical indicators that we would look for with uh, AKI. Great. Thank you. And, you know, when we're looking for clinical indicators, if you're a CDI specialist, you're probably looking to, you're looking through the documentation, you're looking for, to see if there's a query opportunity. What are some common documentation pitfalls that are related to AKI and how can CDI specialists address them proactively? Um, I think one of the biggest problems, to be honest with you, with this condition is people not knowing how to apply the criteria appropriately. So that is the biggest one. Um, I think one of the other issues with documentation is that a lot of people are not aware of the fact that we can now go back in a previous medical record to capture some clinical indicators. We certainly could never go back and capture a diagnosis or a condition, um, but we could go back and look at things like a patient's previous creatinine level. So I think those are probably the biggest issues that we have. It's funny that you mentioned this, and I'm just going to add this to the conversation and then talk a little bit about those two things I just mentioned. Um, for whatever reason, in my experience, attending physicians have always seemed to try to treat issues with the kidneys before they got a nephrologist involved in the situation. And I think because of that and because of all of the different terminology that is used like AKI versus acute renal failure versus insufficiency versus dysfunction. Um, And because we saw physicians using it interchangeably throughout the medical record, that it caused a major problem. And probably about eight to 10 years ago, acute renal failure was the only body system failure that was not considered a major comorbid condition. It was demoted to just a complication or um, uh, just a comorbid condition. 
But I think it's because of all the different classifications, the criteria, the terminology. So we want to make sure that we're educating providers. If you order a consult like the nephrologist um, to come in and look at the patient, read what they had to say. If you agree with it, continue to use that same verbiage all along throughout the medical record, including the discharge summary. If you don't obviously agree with them, just clearly state that you disagree with them. But I think in my opinion, and somebody's done the stats on it, there seems to be a big issue with acute renal failure and dysfunction and insufficiency and things of that nature. So have a organizational definition and stick with it. So past that for CDI, I know that's a lot and I'm sorry. No, I love that you inserted that. That was a great path to go down. So thank you. So the other thing that seems to pop up a lot when I'm teaching is that people really with the uh, Kinigo criteria, which is uh, kidney disease improving global outcome, they don't really know how to apply it. So I think that they don't realize that an increase in serum creatinine um, by greater than or equal to 0.3 milligrams per deciliter within 48 hours is a prospective, meaning it's going forward. That's what they need to be looking at. It's not retrospectively, meaning you can go back to a patient's previous creatinine and then also go forward. So with that criteria, the 0.3 milligrams per deciliter within 48 hours, that's prospectively. So that's going forward. The equal to 1.5 times baseline, that is retrospective. So that can occur within seven days. So it can be prior to the creatinine um, result that you have, or it can be after. Um, And I think a a lot of times people are a little bit confused by that. So let me give you a little bit of an example. So if we have a patient that's admitted with a UTI and dehydration, they don't have any history, the creatinine level is 2.5. So they're going to treat the patient. On day two, the creatinine level decreases to 1.2, and on day three, Um, it discharges to 1.0. The baseline is retrospectively identified as 1.0, which is a decrease of greater than 1.5 times from the highest creatinine level um, that was measured, which was 2.5. So again, that's retrospective. But the 0.3 milligrams per deciliter, that criteria, again, can only be uh, applied prospectively. So with a baseline within the preceding 48 hours, so an increase of at least 0.3 milligrams per deciliter has to be observed between the two values. So this would be somebody that comes in with sepsis. Let's say their serum creatinine is 1.5 when they're admitted, and it increases to 1.9 on day two. You've got it. You have it. So that's how that's done. Now, the other one is the urine output. And unfortunately, I think people forget, we can also use urine output. So looking at 0.5 milligrams per kilogram per hour for six hours. That's another one that we can, you know, rely on. Does that help? That does help. No, that does help. And I like that you took the time to really focus in on the nuances of prospective versus retrospective measurements, because I think that in itself is a very complicated uh, part of the criteria, and it's very important in applying the criteria correctly. It is. It is. You are absolutely right. You said it perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
So uh, yes, thank you for delving so specifically into that. Now, I do want to continue down this little bit of a CDI focus that we're doing and talk about best practices for constructing queries related to AKI. I'm sure since we talked about the criteria being so nuanced that a lot of times they're clinical validation queries. What are some tips you have for writing those queries or some best practices? I love that you asked this. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to love my answer, but I love that you asked this <laughs> because people, for some reason, clinical validation queries um, seem to be the hardest thing for a lot of people to write. Now, I don't know if it's because they think we're calling into, you know, into judgment the physician's um, clinical knowledge or whatever it might be. We're not. But I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make and what they could do that I think would would do them a huge favor is as you are going along and doing your reviews, um, you know, while you're in the medical record, don't always just take note of the negative results or the negative values. As you start your review, look for um, documentation of a diagnosis that you don't see the clinical support for and start jotting that down also. Because nine times out of 10, to be honest with you, in a clinical validation query, your clinical evidence is going to be values that are okay. And it kind of hurts you if you are day four into a review and now you have to go back to day one and start looking for values that are okay. Um, so I broaden it a little bit, your review, not only keep track of values that are out of range, but also keep track of things um, for conditions that are within range. And creatinine would be one of them that I would just note, you know, if they had a urinalysis done and it's within normal limits, jot it down so that if on day four, I find that I'm sending out a clinical validation query, I have the information there to just start the query and send it on out. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for going through that. And unfortunately, we are out of time. But I do want to say, Sharm, that I learned so much from today's episode. I hope our listeners did too. It's always a pleasure getting a chance to sit down and talk to you. As always, if our audience does have any questions about this topic, you can feel free to email the Actus team at info at actus.org. We'll also put that email in today's show notes, which are available on the show page at actus.org and in your podcast app so that you can grab it from there. Sharm, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate all the detail you put into your responses to help all of us learn a little bit more about acute kidney injury today. Thank you, Carla. Greatly appreciate it being on. Now it's time for the Actus Update, which as you know, is a regular segment featuring the latest news of what's going on inside the association. So first and foremost, with the Actus podcast this year, we really wanted to try to find more ways to connect with you. So we're planning a few listener question episodes this year, where we'll be joined by some of our CDI instructors who will answer specific questions that you submit. You can submit questions at any time. Just use the link in today's show notes. And really, we want to encourage you not to be shy. These episodes won't be possible without your participation. So if you've got questions, we want to hear them. Additionally, for all of our Actus members, I do just want to remind you that our first member exclusive quarterly call does take place next Thursday, February 22nd. Director of Programming Rebecca Hendren will be joined by Interim Director Lori Prescott, Associate Editorial Director of Publications and Membership Linnea Archibald, and members of the Actus Advisory Board, 
to discuss results from the 2023 salary survey and its associated report. You can find the links to register and access the report in today's show notes. And before we wrap things up today, I do just want to take a few minutes to talk about the Actus Conference in this year's keynotes because it's really something I'm looking forward to and something that I want you all to know about. We've got some really excellent keynotes lined up this year that are going to make Actus 2024 an incredible experience. And it's going to be a great way for us to start each day together and get ready to kick off that day of learning. So on Tuesday, Actus Interim Director Lori Prescott will lead things off with a discussion about potential and how we can discover both our own potential and potential within others. She'll then hand things off to Paul Long, who will take us through the fundamentals of meaningful leadership. And yes, you did hear me correctly. That was an emphasis on fun. Paul talks about his concept, fundamism, and how we can leverage it to achieve our own professional and personal fulfillment in this session. He'll guide us through how we can be effective leaders and feel empowered to bring out the fun and the energy in every situation. Paul's energy and his enthusiasm is truly infectious, and I'm confident we're all going to leave this session ready to take on the next two and a half days of learning. It'll be such a great way to kick off the conference between hearing from Lori and hearing from Paul. And then on Wednesday for our second full day, Karen McCullough will walk us through how to recharge our battery and how to energize others during those really difficult times when we're just feeling exhausted. Because in today's world, it's just a constant go, go, go. It's full speed, it's full speed ahead at all times. But according to Karen, the key isn't necessarily better time management. It's better energy management. And Karen's going to show us how managing our energy can really increase our focus, our stamina, and our productivity. And then finally, on Thursday, we'll close out with a real treat. Many of you may know the show, Ted Lasso, where an American football coach crosses the pond to coach a very different kind of football in England. Chock full of optimism, positive sayings, enthusiasm, and general kindness, Ted really finds a way to connect with each of the footballers he coaches. And Jason Sudeikis's portrayal of the character is nothing short of stellar. However, Sudeikis revealed that Ted was actually inspired by his childhood basketball coach, Donnie Campbell, and will be lucky enough to be joined by Donnie on this final day of the conference as he imparts valuable leadership lessons that translate both on and off the court. You really don't want to miss this one-of-a-kind, heartfelt keynote delivered by what we're calling the real Ted Lasso. So we hope to see you there, not only at the keynotes, but at the 2024 Actus Conference. And as always, you'll be able to find the link to register for the conference and for more information about anything else I discussed during this portion in today's show notes. Now, just as a reminder before we close out, each Actus podcast episode does now offer 0.5 Actus CEUs, which can be used towards recertifying your CCDS or CCDSO credential for those who listen to the show in the first two days from the time of publication. That's the important part right there. You must listen within the first two days after the episode is posted. So to receive your 0.5 CEUs, go to the show page on actus.org by clicking on the Actus podcast link under the resources tab and then selecting today's episode from the list on that page. Then you'll want to scroll down to the recording of today's episode and click play. At the end of the video, 
all the way at the end when the timer actually hits zero, a link to the CEU evaluation will appear. Simply click on that, take the survey, and your certificate will be automatically emailed to you upon submitting the brief evaluation. Those instructions are laid out on the show page as well, so you can follow along there too. To ensure your certificate reaches you and does not get trapped in your organization's spam filters, we strongly urge you to use a personal email address when completing the CEU evaluation form. And don't forget to press the submit button at the end to ensure your information gets to us so we can get you that CEU. The cutoff for today's episode CEU is Friday, February 16th at 11 p.m. Eastern. After that point, the CEU period will close and you will not be eligible for the 0.5 CEUs for this week's episode. Just as a note, if you listen to all the episodes and claim all the CEUs for the podcast episodes this year, you'll have earned 13 free CEUs for the year. So it's a really great opportunity to claim those free CEUs. And with that, we've reached the end of today's Actus podcast episode. But don't worry, we'll be back in two weeks on Wednesday, February 28th with a new episode featuring members of the Actus editorial team as we provide a glimpse behind the scenes of all things Actus. If you'd like to receive reminders about each episode, make sure you're subscribed to our free weekly newsletter, CDI Strategies, which always includes a link to the new episode when it's available. You can listen to the show anytime on the Actus website or via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. All the links we discussed during today's episode will be available in the show notes. And as always, we'd really appreciate it if you'd take a minute to leave us a five-star review on your podcast app to help others find our show. Our intro and outro music is Media Noche by The Yen Key, and our ad music is Take Me Higher by Jazar, both of which are obtained from the free music archive. If you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, please email us at info at And until next time, take care, everyone.